So we've come through our longest sermon series at Promise Church. This is a six-week sermon series instead of a four-week sermon series. And uh, it is, it's worthwhile because it's the book of Hebrews, which, honestly, I have learned, this is going to sound really ridiculous, I have learned more about my Christian faith by deeply studying Hebrews for presenting it than I have learned maybe in all of my previous time of, of study and understanding. What's happened as I've gone through the book of Hebrews is a recognition of one narrative that just runs all the way through the Bible. And Hebrews does this beautiful job of summing it all up in the person of Jesus. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm excited about, about ending up this sermon series today and, and the message today is going to be um, exactly what I believe God has put on my heart for the past couple weeks. I'm a little rusty though. I haven't been speaking here for a while. Um, I, think it's, I think it was three weeks ago was the last time I preached, so I don't know. I might, be, I might call this church by its wrong name or something. Um, I might do some other. <laughs> I heard about it. I heard. <laughs> Um, I might do other, you know, stuff like, uh, I don't even know, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. And, and God is good. So we're really, we're really excited. Today, if you want to make comments about the entire sermon series, or just about today, or about the fact that my shoelace might be undone, or I might trip over my cord, you can use your, your tablet, and actually, um, at the bottom of the pink one, the, today's message, you can send a text message, and I will actually get to it, and uh, I'll be able to answer it for us, hopefully. And if I can't, then I will, uh, I'll call somebody who can. Um, so... Hebrews has been a really full book. I'm going to get right into right into it right away because there, even though we're finishing up, there's still more to go. There's still more in this book that we haven't yet touched on. And so there's still a lot of content to come out today. And, uh, and I just really hope that we're absorbing this content because it really matters. The point of the book of Hebrews, if you're ever to read the book of Hebrews through one lens... The one lens is Jesus is superior by far. We have gone through six major ideas so far, and today we're going to be going through what to do with it. Our first idea is Jesus is superior to the angels. Not very relevant to us because we don't worship angels in our culture, but it was extremely relevant when it was written that angels were like the celestial being, and people worshiped angels. Jesus is superior to angels. Jesus superior to Moses. This is really important because this message was actually spoken first to a Jewish community. So Jesus being superior to Moses is a big deal. This shows the continuation of God's work from Old Testament to New Testament. Jesus superior to any high priest. We talked about, if you want to look back on our recorded services, we talked about how the high priest is someone who mediates between God and myself and, and overcomes the problem of sin and my own evil and imperfection. And Jesus is the one who does that. Jesus' covenant is superior to the covenant between God and Israel. And the reason had nothing to do with God's failure. This was Pastor Tim's sermon. Had nothing to do with God's failure in the covenant and everything to do with Israel's failure in the covenant. So the new covenant is all on God. It is a fulfilled covenant. There is nothing for me to do except for trust 
Um, Jesus is superior to continual sacrifices. This is merely pragmatic. Jesus' sacrifice once and for all means that we don't have to go into the temple every single year and offer sacrifices of bulls and goats and sheep and, uh, and doves. And so Jesus' sacrifice is superior. And Jesus is superior by far because he alone bridges the divide between God and man. So Jesus being God and man allows humanity access to the divine in a way that no other religious construct can. There is no other religious construct that says God, divine being, becomes human so that human can have relationship with the human God. And so this is, this is revolutionary. It actually is the reason, it is the fundamental reason that Christianity separated from Judaism. It's the fundamental reason that Islam rejected Christianity when Islam came along. It is the reason, it's the offense of Christianity that Jesus, a God-man, mediates humanity to God. And, uh, and that is what we believe at um, at. Promise Church, and as a Christian church, that is what it means to be Christian. Last week, we had a question that came up, and uh, we weren't able to get to it, so I'm actually going to touch this one. If Jesus is the superior way, is the old way still valid? I mean, I know there's no reason because the new way is better, but could the old way work? So this is a really important question. Um, Jesus is superior, and he has created a superior way. When we look at Pauline writing, so letters written by the Apostle Paul. Paul seems to give a hope that Israel will be restored. And so he doesn't fully explain how faithful Israel will be restored. He doesn't fully delineate what it means. But what he does say is that he hopes that God is going to restore them. He puts all of his eggs in the basket of God's work. If God has been so gracious to reach to the Gentiles, God is somehow so gracious to reach and redeem the Jews. How he does it, I don't know the answer. Um, and I know that the way to approach God today is through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Everything else that God does from there is totally God's, God's sovereign will. And, uh, and so could the old way work? I want to say at this point, the old way points everything to Jesus. The old way, when, when you see the revelation of Jesus, makes people go, Oh, Jesus is superior. And so if we were to see, you know, when we see a, a faithful Jew, they, they would look towards God and they would say, Jesus, I see now how you fulfill it. That God would, would take, that, um, uh, take that veil, if you will, off their eyes and that they would see Jesus. And so that's a clumsy way to answer that question. Um, but that's a, a general idea. There is tons of debate in the Christian community about how that works, um, but the Bible is not ridiculously clear on it. Otherwise, we'd have a really strong doctrinal statement about it. Um, <laughs> so that is, that's our best effort at it. Okay, let me pray, and then we're just going to get into, get into today's message. God, thank you. Thank you for the reflection that we're able to take our life and we're able to see it kind of superimposed over the life of different people in the Bible. 
For example, when Abraham just questioned you, we find ourselves questioning you. When you answered Abraham and you gave him a, a greater idea of what's going on, we find ourselves being answered by you to give us a greater vision. And God, today as we get into the sum up of what do we do with all of this information about your superiority, how does that actually affect our life? God, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and open up our minds to hear your word again and that we would be motivated and compelled to work more and more towards your vision. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the book of Hebrews, what I haven't done is I haven't gone through the pastoral exhortations. Hebrews has the arguments in that I've done, but if you've been tracking with me, I've been skipping little pieces of verses, not because I don't like them, but because I wanted to make one cohesive argument, and now I'm coming back to some of the pastoral exhortations. Because what he does is when he wrote this, he wrote this to be one sermon. I've broken it up into six. Um, the most efficient way to preach this, I told this on the first week, is to actually open up Hebrews 1.1 and read it with a lot of enthusiasm and actually just read all the way through to the end of Hebrews. And so I didn't do that as a sermon. I actually broke it up. And so what he did to keep it from being super dry and boring was he kept on, he'd make a point and then he'd give a pastoral exhortation. And then he would make another point, and then he would give a pastoral exhortation. And so today, I saved up all of the exhortation for one service. It's going to be really intense. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's not actually going to be super intense, but there is some, some really, really interesting stuff that happens as we go through the book of Hebrews really, really fast. For example, let's take a look at this. Hebrews 2 verse 3. He says, right after he talks about the angels, he says, um, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by us who heard. How shall we escape? How shall we escape if we neglect this salvation? Like, this is a big point. He's going, people, pay attention. Pay attention because what I am saying, and he's right at the beginning, what I am saying is so important that if you don't get it, how are you going to escape? How are you going to escape if you neglect this? You must pick this up. Very, very important. In Hebrews 4.1, just another two pages over, if you have a paper Bible, it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should, should seem to have failed to reach it. He is totally concerned that, that we are going to miss the point and we're going to fail to reach it because we did not see how superior Jesus was. Remember, he's speaking to people who have a routine of life. They've got a system in which they thought that this is how I approach God. I just go through the normal pieces of life and on I go and on I go. And yeah, okay, I'm a Christian slash Jew. And on I go and I live my life. Okay, let's fear lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach this truth. That it isn't about your routine life that brings you close to God. 
It's not about the actions that you take, the holiness positions that you take, the, the way that you live. It's not about that that gets us close to God. And so let us fear lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach this rest that God has promised. And the rest is found in the trust of the person of Jesus Christ. And then in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, he gives us another one. Um, Hebrews 10, 26 to 29. He gives us another one here. And he says, he says, For if you go on sitting deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there remains no longer a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think? How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? (sighs) Hey, okay. If you go on sinning, how much more punishment is coming? Hi. Hi. Okay. Just reading the Bible here. Um, What he's saying here is he's saying, if you neglect this salvation in the person of Jesus Christ, and you live as though nothing happened, you live with no sense of of responsibility or responsiveness, then he's saying, you're missing the point. You're missing what's going on. You're missing overall where this has happened. So what's going on? We're actually going to get into this in a minute because we actually carry a lot of baggage on the word sinning and we carry a lot of baggage on the word punishment. And, and, and so there's a lot going on here because I just said Jesus did everything. So now why am all of a sudden am I saying if you go on sinning, you're trampling on the blood. You're trampling on the covenant. Well, what's going on here? We're actually going to touch onto that in just a minute. This is, this is so important because we still see Jesus as the center of it, but we do see that there are, there are changes in our life that, that God calls us to that are so vital to having successful communication with God. Not that we created it, but we can certainly end it. We could certainly put, put things in the way of it. So, but get this. Here's the last pastoral exhortation. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. I love that phrase, clings so closely, like it has a will of its own. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's lay aside the weight and the sin that sits so closely to us. Let's lay it aside. 
because we're surrounded by a whole cloud of witnesses, what's happened in Hebrews 11 has been a whole chapter that we aren't really going to get to go into too much, but a whole chapter that recounts all of the faithful people of God who have, who have trusted God, who have in faith said, I'm going to go and do this even though it looked foolish. They've trusted God. And so we're surrounded by these people and we're being called to trust this greater offer. See, in Hebrews 10.10, Pastor Tim highlighted this verse because it's right at the center of the text. Hebrews 10.10 says, oh, sorry, it's 10.16. I apologize. This is the covenant, and that was my mistake. This is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their heart and write them on their minds, and I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there's no more uh, there's no longer any offering for sin. So what we have here is God has done all of this. He's done all the work. Jesus has done all the work. Therefore, he's superior. And he's taken on our sin. And he's forgiven us. His response then, it says, you accept that you're in communion with me. You're in relationship with me. And now, if you keep on sinning, what does that mean? How does that mean that you value your relationship with me. What does that mean for your life? See, it's a great offer because God is able to connect with us in a way that we wouldn't. Okay. If you've done it, if you could have done it alone, you would have done it already. Anybody heard that before? If you could have done it alone, you would have done it already. Um, I love that. That's, it's such a great statement because this is a statement that God, that Harvey Broker makes to people. But it's also a statement that God makes to us when he looks at our religious systems. If you could have done it alone, you would have done it already. But the reality is we couldn't have done it alone, and God has put the best offer on the table saying, I'm doing all of the work. And so even when it makes us look a little bit, a little bit foolish to put faith in God, like the people in Hebrews 11 that I just talked about did, it's still something that really is, is so important because God has done it all. In Hebrews 12, 18 to 24, I'm getting into a little bit of new content today. Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12 18 to 24, the author is making a final contrast between the old way where we try to approach God by our works and a new way where God has approached us and look at this. He says, he says, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and a darkness and a gloom and a tempest. He's describing the Mount Sinai experience that we read earlier. And the sound of a trumpet voice whose words make the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast were to touch the mountain, it would be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses says, I tremble with fear. You didn't come to that. That's not the way that God is approaching us. What you came to, verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to insurmountable or innumerable angels in the in festive gathering. You've come to the mountain of God where there's a party. 
You've come to the mountain of God where the angels are celebrating, where it's meant to be lighthearted, where it's meant to be full of joy. You, this is the contrast. You didn't come to the God who's going to burn everything and stone any animal that touches his mountain. You came to the welcome mountain of God where he's like, there are angels in a party having festivals and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, don't forget that, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. There's a fulfillment of the promise right there. The, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. <sighs> this is God's best offer on the table. He's saying, you can come to me. You can come to me through Jesus. And so you can't do it any other way. You have to do it through me. You can come to me through Jesus. So, okay, here's the crux of the end of the series. The writer assumes that, the, that everybody gets the message. I've been pretty repetitive today that Jesus is superior by far. He's the only way. There's a warning that says that I need to live differently, and, but Jesus is taking care of all the sin in the world, Right? That's what it's done so far, and that's what the book of Hebrews has done so far. But the people, the writer assumes there's going to be a question here. The question is, if God is so faithful, why are there hard things that are happening right now? Why do these bad things happen around us? If God is so big and so much have done everything, then one, why is it still a selected group? And two, why is, why is it still happening? What's going on here? And so the response to this scene question is, is really interesting. He gives just a couple of throwaway statements of like, this is what your life should be like. This is what your life should be like. This is what your life should be like. Right towards the end of the passage. And it's so important for us. And it sounds a little harsh. So <laughs> look at this. Consider him, Jesus, who endured from such sinners huge hostility, I added huge, against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In your struggle against the evil that's still happening, you, you haven't resisted it to the point of shedding your blood. Have you? Have you, ever, have you ever resisted sin so much that you have shed blood over it? Have you resisted the evil in the world so much that you are willing to die for it? You're willing to die to fight against it. Well, it's a little bit mean because, because he's saying you're suffering the stuff that's going on in your life. You haven't, you haven't resisted to the level that Jesus resisted. It's a little minimizing, isn't it? Like, oh, he's kind of saying like a little bit of suck it up here. A little bit of, of hey, you know the, the, the evil that's in the world? Yeah, Jesus resisted it to the point that it killed him. 
What have you done? Oh, okay. Wait, I didn't mean that. I, I meant, I meant like just like I just want the bad things to go away. I didn't mean to to own the responsibility. But but the author's saying you gotta recognize what's happening here. Yes, there is evil in the world, and it's come hard, and it's destroyed people's lives. And Jesus fought against it with his life. So while you say, oh, if Jesus is so great, why are bad things happening right now? God says, I fought against it with my entire life. Have you? Have you pushed against the darkness? Have you dug in and fought against the things that bring decay? Or do you just hope that one day it's just gone? So he's saying you haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. That's his first point. His first point is saying, yes, there is evil in the world. But no, you can't take for granted the fact that Jesus gave up his entire life to fight against it. You can't just take that lightly and just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Thanks, Jesus. No. No, he's calling us to something more where he's like, no, you too, as a community, you push against the darkness. You stand in the face of the evil and you say, no, we're not tolerating that. Not because that's how I get to God, but because that's the way that, the, that God sees the world as a place with no darkness and no evil. We get the vision of what God's doing and we push and we're like, no, we're not going to tolerate this sin any longer because that's not what we're going for. So he kind of minimizes it a little. But then he calls us out and he goes, yeah, sin's still in the world. And guess what? You participate in it. Resist that. Resist that. You want to see the evil in this world start to decline? You resist it. Don't engage in its short-term benefits. So we need to resist. We are part of the resistance against the evil in the world. And yes, one day Jesus returns and he actually does remove it. But until then, we're called to join with, to resist against the things that, it, that evil, because evil will be removed. The other thing is not every bad thing that happens to you is actually evil. That's a really interesting point. Not every bad thing that happens to you is actually evil. And I'm going to run a little late today. I apologize. But you know, whatever. We're wrapping up a series. So, and it's not going to be long. Not every bad thing that happens to you is actually evil. Look at this. Hebrews 12:5 says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure because God's treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're an illegitimate child and not a son. Beside this, you have earth earthly fathers who discipline you and you respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For at the moment, all discipline seems rather painful and not pleasant, 
but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Okay? God is disciplining us. Some of the, some of the things that we interpret as evil may not be evil. Now, that's discernment. I'm not saying that everything that you experience that's bad is God disciplining you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying leave room for it. When you pray, say, God, what are you teaching me? And how do I push against the darkness? So, very important point. Now, there are six very brief points that he makes in Hebrews 13, which I'm just going to fly through right here, and we are going to end. See, Jesus is superior by far. We live in a world full of evil. Now, what do we do? Note this. He does not refer us back in chapter 13 to the Old Testament law. He refers us to something slightly different, but fulfilled in the law. Watch this. Hebrews 13.1. Oh, first a reminder, you do nothing but trust God for your salvation. That posture is really hard to keep. That posture is very challenging. So you trust God for your salvation. It's kind of like... Uh, this one's kind of like isometrics, where you lean against the wall to, lean, to lose weight. Um, and so, so this one feels like, oh, this should be easy. If I just push against this wall, then it should be good. But, but this one is actually really hard. The posture of trust is really hard. You'll be sweating it out, being like, God, I trust you, God, I trust you, God, I trust you. <sighs> it's hard. And so, so it's, it's a big deal. But here's what we do. Let brotherly love continue. Hebrews 13.1. I just went camping last weekend with friends. I learned something huge about brotherly love. It was awesome. Brotherly love is not necessarily intense, deep discussions. Sometimes it's casual, mundane. Sometimes it's just, hey, pass the mustard. And being together in community where you feel like you're accomplishing nothing, but everybody around you, you, you recognize... That's brotherly love. Keep it happening, okay? Let brotherly love continue. Show hospitality, Hebrews 13, 2. This is huge. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers because some people have entertained angels by doing this. That's a little motivation, but at the same time, just show hospitality, people. Really simple. Um, do you know the whole cultural strategy, take care of yourself? Oh, yeah, we're, I, everybody, you should take care of yourself. You should take care of yourself. Guess what? The way God could constructed us as social beings, you actually can't just take care of yourself. You were never meant to be alone and self-sufficient. That's not the call of Genesis. The call of Genesis says it's not good for a human to be alone. You don't get to take care of yourself. The way you actually gain is by loving on others and allowing them to love on you. We actually gain in health, in community. We can't push away from community. Just to be like, oh, I'm taking care of myself. No, you take care of yourself by being present in community. It doesn't mean you have to be extroverted. It just means you have to be there. And so that's something that's really important. If there are needs, if people are lonely, be hospitable. Take care of yourself. You've got to be there. You can't get it alone. If you could have done it alone, you would have done it already. Sometimes we fight to stay, sometimes we fight to stay alone because we're afraid of the community that's around us. We need to be hospitable so that the people aren't afraid of the community around us. It's huge. Okay, number four. 
We have to remember those who are mistreated. The, the heart of Christianity is a compassion. I'm not even going to read the text, but it's Hebrews 13.3. We need to honor marriage. Okay, this is another relational commitment. Notice that all of these are relational. You push against the darkness by being relational in love with each other. Honor marriage. The enemy will destroy relationships and community as much as possible. It's really not about being holy. It's about pushing against the evil that destroys us. And be content. Be content. You have what you have. I went to a friend's house the other day, and uh, he wasn't home. And he left his garage open, and his brand new Porsche GTS red convertible was in the garage. And I was like, oh, shoot, where's my friend? Where's my friend? Where's my friend? And I heard the engine come up of his brand new BMW M3 convertible stick. And he pulls up his driveway, and he pulls into his garage. He's oh, sorry, man, I was just getting coffee. And I was like, mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like okay, just, just answer me this. Do you lease these cars because you like having, no, no, I buy these cars cash. I hate you. <laughs> Be content. You have what you have. You have what you have, and God is working with you. He has blessed you. Here's a cool thing. If you're experiencing a lot of financial stress, this is something I tried. It's not for everybody, but it's just an experience, so I'm sharing it. It's not like authority. One of the things I did when I was experiencing financial stress last week was <laughs> I dropped a savings plan. And I was like, oh, we had this great plan. We're going to like redo our kitchen. It's $25,000 in 18 years of work. We're going to get there. And I went, you know what? Our kitchen's good. Dropped the plan, lost the stress. It was awesome. It was so good. I was like, yay, I don't need a new kitchen. It doesn't matter. Okay, just fine. I know I'm late. Okay, so we have to respond to God's best offer. Here's my final verse. Hebrews 12, verse 15. Thank you for being patient with me. I guess you didn't have a social choice. Um, see to it that nobody fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble as it may, as many become defiled. We need the grace of God as we gather together to worship God. I want Promise Church to walk away with a profound sense of the book of Hebrews. It offers more than a logical understanding of Christ's superiority. It offers a complete layers of what's going on in the Bible. So today, if you've heard God's voice, quoting Hebrews 4, I encourage you to act on it. Here's the call. We set our heart towards trusting Jesus and the, trusting the work that Jesus did to bring you to God. It feels like isometrics. It feels like this should be easy, but it's not. It feels like, what is this doing? How is this strengthening me? And it is strengthening you. Trust Jesus and the work that he did and be a constant part of Promised Church as a community that pushes against the darkness, be a constant part of being present because it's here we experience the foreshadowing, that brotherly love, that helpful community, that place that says, if I could have done it alone, I would have done it already. No, it's here that God's called us to where we find strength to continue on and to push against the darkness together. So I encourage you to continue to be a part of Promise Church. We are very excited as we go into our new year. Let me, uh, let me pray.
Lord Jesus, you have truly done everything. You have truly worked your way into our life. And so, Jesus, we see that there is still evil in this world. We see that it's still sometimes way closer than we want it to be. But God, I pray that you would empower each one of us as we trust in you for access to God. I pray that you would empower each one of us with the strength and with your spirit to push against the darkness that exists around us, that separates us from each other, that pushes us to isolation, that makes us suffer and decay. I pray that you would give us wisdom as we walk as a community. I pray that you would bless this church community as we focus on our purpose, which is to know you and the power of your love. I pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.